what's going on? It's Quinn David Furness, and this is my show. Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast for Easter Sunday, Sunday, April 12th, 2020. What's going on? How are you? We're under quarantine, and, um, you know, we're hanging in there. It's this this week, I'm not going to lie, I had some tough days. For example, um, Wednesday night, well, in general, this week was, was, was tough for me. I, I, so I haven't talked about this much on the podcast, but I've been doing one meal a day under quarantine. And I, what I do is I cook up a big batch of whatever on Monday nights. And so that's literally what I eat for the next like six days. Um, what I made this week did not turn out well. It was kind of a, a beef barley kind of feeling thing with some quinoa in there and just a ton of veggies I'm, i won't bore you bore you with the details suffice to say it didn't come together so i it, it you know was kind of a rough week with the baseline of that's all i was eating this week um but wednesday night i don't know what happened but you know i i had my normal two bowl serving and was just feeling like really hungry still um and you know very much like wanting to just binge and snack and and go back and visit all the um skeletons in my closet there but uh got through it had some tea which i don't think i've had tea in a year plus um but you know there there are easy days not even not easy days but but good days and bad days in quarantine right and uh, today today was uh made a little bit better uh, for one reason specifically, well, yes, the whole Jesus rising from the dead thing got that. That's you know, take that for granted. Um, but I was able to, and we're gonna, you're gonna get the full rundown in just a few brief minutes, I promise. Uh, get uh, an interview with my former boss. In fact, really my first ever boss besides mom and dad. Uh, Mr. Tim Muther, chemistry teacher to the stars, soccer coach, wrestling coach, football coach extraordinaire, and uh, what we spent a lot of time talking about today, uh, detasseler, detasseling master, really. I mean, this is a guy who came up through the system, uh, true blue blood, and uh, the, the, the father of northern Illinois corn detasseling if you want to call him that. We sat down with Tim over the phone and uh, just let the the tape roll. And you'll notice um, there is no traditional start to our interview um, when I play it for you all in a little bit here Um, because I wasn't really sure how to how to how to do it you know we just started talking on the phone. I I hadn't talked to Tim uh, over the phone and probably seven or eight years or so at this point. Um, and so there was, you know, some catching up to do and quarantine talk and we just kind of naturally merged into detasseling. And then, uh, we finished up, uh, uh, Tim had some Easter Sunday kind of reflections for us. And, um, you know, it's always kind of interesting when you talk to somebody who you spent a lot of time with in your life, but haven't talked to them in, in a lot in a long time. Uh, you're not sure, you know, um, you know, how has that person changed? What all do they remember about you? Are your references or your jokes going to, you know, um, work 
So there were there was some of the, some of that kind of of my own anxiety going into uh, a conversation with with Tim Muther. But I'm really proud to report, and I think you'll find this, uh, or you'll you'll hear this for yourself when we roll that interview. That um, it was just like you know, two uh, two two guys throwing back a you know a six pack of Corona, no pun intended. And uh, just you know, catching up. So that's that's what you got. What the one thing I want to do before I just let that interview roll, and I'll I'll jump back in at the end of it um, with with our ad reads and just some final Easter Sunday thoughts. But uh, well, well, two things. First, I should let you know, listener discretion is advised. When you're listening to the Bean Town Podcast, number one, we will occasionally use some language here and there. Number two, the podcast is objectively terrible. Although today is like awesome. Um, this interview, I think, was a really good combination of humor and um, nostalgia, but also just a, a, a kind of. I was kind of overwhelmed with the poignancy of a lot of uh, Tim's comments and um, his, his words of advice. Um, I, you know, I, I always kind of viewed Tim Uther as just a, a, a funny man, um, but uh, boy, he really brought his his A game, uh, his his chops uh, in this interview. Um, definitely shared some some wisdom, some advice that I just never ex- expected to to hear him say, and I was really happy uh, to have that. And you'll notice the best part about the interview is I I literally talk for all of like five minutes in a 40 minute interview. Um, so I'm going to let you listen to that before I let that roll though. I do just want to preface, um, sort of my, um, my, my history, my, my, my relationship with, with Tim Uther. So, you know, sort of where we're jumping in, um, to when that interview starts. So, uh, corn detasseling, if you're not familiar, it is a, uh, classic summer job um in you know midwestern states states where you got a lot of corn illinois indiana iowa wisconsin nebraska kansas what have you um if you if you don't know what that actually means corn detasseling um imagine a a cornfield in late summer it's all green and stuff but at the top you got those tan things sprouting out of the top they're there for pollination purposes it's how the 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 plants reproduce Um, those things are called tassels Anyways, there um, are specific sort of methods and strategies to corn breeding and hybridization um, to where you can you you want to control certain rows of corn um, what you want them to pollinate and then other ones you don't want to pollinate. Um, I don't you know I don't know all the science behind it. I'm not a botanist, but Essentially, what you do in corn detasseling is you go through those cornfields in you know July before those tassels really sprout out and spread their seed. Um, they're still wrapped up in green kind of leaves for the most part, and you pluck them out of each plant. Um, each plant has a tassel. Um, they all grow the same way, and um, you go through every single plant in a field and take the tassel out. Um, they're grown in rows. So you just, everyone has a row you walk down. Um, you know, sometimes fields are as short as, you know, a 10th of a mile. And then, you know, I've detasseled fields and, and Tim probably detasseled fields longer than this, um, that, you know, can be up to about a mile long. Um, and you can imagine, you know, if your standard walking pace for a mile is, you know, 17 to 20 minutes, um, imagine having to, you know, 
pick out a pluck out a tassel from each plant. Um, essentially, it, it takes a very long time. Uh, it's a really grueling job. You uh, you know you get picked up by a bus anywhere around like five a.m. in the morning. I mean, you got to wake up earlier than that to get your your crap together, pack your lunch, water, all that stuff, and then drive to the bus stop. Um, you're usually you're usually historically in the fields by about six a.m. 6.15. If Gale was, was driving slow, uh, Gale is the legendary bus driver who has since passed on. Uh, rest in peace. But we, we had lots of stories about Gale. She was an interesting lady. Um, but you're in those fields, you know, the shortest days could be, you know, four hours if, if you were lucky and just had a little bit to do. Um, and then, you know, I don't recall personally ever working a, a field past like 3 30 or 4 in the afternoon but you'll hear tim uh, mention on 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 our interview um that he recalls a day being in there till like dusk so uh it's really grueling you you get there in the morning and you're drenched from head to toe in corn dew by about 9 30 a.m the sun's out you are dying of thirst um there's corn rash which is very real um you get your arms cut up it's really uncomfortable and stings like hell uh you get sunburned really bad um no matter what you do it 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 comes for you it happens uh, and you're doing this as a, as young as 12 years old and making about $5 an hour. Um, it's a wild phenomenon. And if anyone wants to hear more stories or tales about what it's actually like, email us at beantownpodcastyahoo.com. Again, that's beantown, B-E-A-N-T-O-N, podcast at yahoo.com. And I would be glad to to share those with you because I... I could go for hours about corny tasseling. I did it from the age of 12 through 18 every summer. You do it for about four weeks in the summer or so, pretty much every day. Usually you get one or two days off out of those four weeks. Um, and we're not talking Monday through Friday. We're talking seven days a week. Um, absolutely brutal. Um, just really physically physically challenging, certainly, but the mental uh, just prisons that you place yourself in when you're you spend eight hours a day walking down cornfields um plucking tassels out of each plant brutal man uh absolutely scarring so but but tim uh tim did a really good job of kind of reining that train of thought back and consistently through our uh throughout our interview um which i'll share with you briefly here um to to sort of talk about you know or or take this aspect of looking on the bright side of life um etc which i really appreciate so that's just a little introduction to what detasseling is um you know I, i did it for i think seven years or so rose through the ranks of you know i remember day one my squad leader was uh, Michael Dobler. Doblers were a classic Lutheran family in, in Rockford. Um, all the way up through, you know, I had my own bus full of kids by, by my last summer, and I was making, you know, a lot more than $5 an hour. Not much more, but a lot more. So, um, yeah, that's that's all I wanted to share. I'm going to pop in at the end uh, once we finish up the interview there, and I will read our ads for this week. And uh, just briefly mention Easter Sunday. I know it's kind of interesting timing, right? Easter Sunday is usually pretty sacred uh, on the Beantown podcast. I like to jump in and uh, poke some fun, mostly with the you know the Israelite Passover 
um, really nothing to do with, you know, New Testament stuff, but, um, I, I, I'll, I'll say a few words and, uh, you know, it'll be a long episode. I apologize for that, but I think you'll find it interesting. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn on the tape here and, uh, you're going to hear us just like jump in mid conversation talking about quarantine and, uh, animals. And then we, we get to corn to tasseling and we get to Easter Sunday and, um, I'll see you at the end of the interview. So, um, without further ado, this is my interview with my former boss, probably the best boss I ever had, uh, Mr. Tim Muther. Sure. But oh, right man. now the critters are having their way. Not much roadkill because not many people driving. So. Yeah, I could imagine they're they're taking over the earth. Oh yeah. I try to get out and get 10,000 steps a day, and I try to get out of town just, um, you know, out in the country. And so um, you're right. I mean, any coyote that ever thought about venturing into a small town isn't going to be harassed now. And uh, we saw a fox the other morning that was uh, right near the edge of town, and so... I've heard stories of different uh, critters, you know, kind of finding their way into places they're at, they hadn't been. So, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. We, uh, I know Chicago's kind of infamous. Occasionally, you get some coyotes that that come out, and I haven't really heard under quarantine if if it's really increase the the sightings at all i haven't seen any stories about it but you occasionally get some some coyotes roaming the streets of chicago which is kind of interesting yeah i saw the first picture i saw of new york when they shut down was i guess since the restaurants were closed the the, the rats couldn't find food scraps to, you know back in the dumpsters in the alley so they were coming out on the street to find stuff to eat so Makes yeah. sense. <laughs> it's tough on us all, you know. Yeah, I watched uh, baby bobcat was roaming around up towards uh, the Illinois River up north of here. So, I guess good for them. <laughs> Maybe you could uh, capture. You could be the next Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Um, give me something to do. <laughs> well. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about all all that and more. Um, thanks, thanks so much for for being part of the podcast. I'm really excited. You're probably our most uh, the biggest celebrity we've ever had on the show, and it's been two and a half years. So this is pretty exciting for us. <laughs> well, we certainly can find plenty of topics to talk about, yeah. like we did when we were detaxing and we're <laughs> bored. <laughs> Didn't know how we'd make it through the day. Yeah, those were some. I was I was telling a friend the other day about detasseling, and and they'd never heard of it. And of course, you know, there's, you know, the straightforward fundamentals of what you actually do, and it doesn't sound so bad. And then you realize that you're out there for seven or eight hours, day after day, with uh, not a lot of breaks or days off, and it really starts to get into your head. And then you get you you catch the corn fever, and then it's all over. Well, and then you 
get you get deluged with rain and, <laughs> and get chased out by lightning storms, and then you know you get the sun beat down on you day after day, and it, you're right, it affects the attitude, and uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of parallels between that and what we're dealing with now. Um, I mean, you know, I think you're good proof. The age-old question: Should I get a? Should I go to college so that my degree gets me a job that I know it's connected to, or should I just do what I want for college and figure out the job part later? And I've always felt just get that degree and you'll figure out what to do, where to go, and you know. I, I forgot. You just reminded me. I forgot you. you <laughs> You championed that Rochelle crew out of like thin air <laughs> one year. That was that was bad, man. Um, it was yeah. We started with like thirty five kids, and I I swear probably three or four of them had detasseled before, and those were the three or four that quit after the first day, and you know trying to trying to get make squad leaders out of thirteen year olds who've never walked more than two or three days corn in their lives is that was a really challenging summer. They really started to drop like flies. Well, you can someday when you're really bored, you can do some background checks on that crew list and see how many of them were involved with the juvenile detention system. (laughs) I, I don't think I ever got to see your crew. There, uh, there was not much to see. It was, it was pretty rough. Or when I did, it was down to just a sniffle of kids. And what was your bus driver's name? Do you remember? I, I don't even remember. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Gail or or T. Arthur. It was, it was somebody else. I, I, I don't know who it was. Huh? What's that? Was his, was his name Tom? It, it might have been. Um, I mean, that that rings a very faint bell. I'm not sure. Well, someday we'll have to put up the Mount Rushmore of and bus drivers that we had to deal with. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, boy, they were, they were characters. Rest in peace, Gail. What a lady. Yeah. I think you had a sub, too, one day that uh, a woman, maybe, that I met. Yeah, I don't. I don't even remember. I remember there being a year when the the story. I'm not sure if it was true. I think you told us that Gail went to Vegas to gamble for a week, and we had a sub at, at one point. But um, yeah, it's uh, hard to, hard to keep track year after year of of everything. <coughs> Maybe was, I think Billy Hartenberger uh, did the year after year on, on Rochelle, and that was when I met the woman. She was appalled that somebody went piddle over by the woods because that was just so bad. <laughs> like, well, ma'am, imagine he had to go, <laughs> and it was quite a ways away from the turlet, and I don't think it's going to harm the field in too bad a manner. So. And uh, remind you mentioned Billy Hardenberger reminds me of his cousin Kevin, who was famous for for peeing in the the fields. And I also oh remember a couple a couple of days where it was raining real bad. I think 
Kevin Hartenberger led us all in some singings of traditional African American spirituals in the the corn. It was it was pretty. We really bonded over that. Well, I do remember having to get the human life chain to get him out of the mud. He got stuck in the mud like quicksand. His shoes got sucked right off of his feet. And- barely got him out <laughs> it's one of my one of my favorite stories that was a really bad day i think we were at hughes hybrids or something and it was real yeah. muddy yeah well, it, was, it was bad it's always an eye-opening experience but for a kid like you i mean now you go into whatever conference whatever where you gotta think of something out of nothing you're like I actually have a little experience in this area. Um, and you certainly learn about how to treat people and deal with people and how to handle crises without, you know, having a witch or two. <laughs> it's true. There's not much else you, you can do. It's just you and the corn. That's it. Day after day. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's the, it's the, uh, you know, the three big conflicts, man versus man, the man versus the elements, and man versus himself. <laughs> <laughs> Usually all by 10 o'clock break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All your listeners can go to any Detasman website and read the reviews from kids who just felt like they were getting crucified and this was the most horrible job experience in the world and <laughs> pretty good uh, to be just reading the reviews <laughs> <over> workers <laughs> to be fair it's a pretty traumatic experience to have as a, a 12 year old especially I remember the the hardest days were when we, we would do the the field corn, which can be so tall, and you know, when you're 12 years old and four foot five, and that corn is, you know, pushing five and six feet tall, it's uh, that's pretty tough on the the shoulders to to get those tassels out. Oh yeah, well, and that's the first first thing you realize, and then the, that's attached to your back, which is attached to your legs, which is attached to your feet. So it becomes complete physical misery. And then there's that short line from your nervous system in your hands to your brain. And, you know, looking at this, there is no light at the end of the tunnel visual experience. And your brain starts running you into the ground before your body does. (laughs) So... It's very, um, very mentally just taxing and, and tolling. And, you know, there are different stages, too, because it's, you know, even though, you know, start of the day, you get into the corn at 6 a.m. and you're fresh and you're resting and you're feeling good. But it's not a fun sensation to be soaked from head to toe in corn dew at, at 6 a.m. That's, uh, that's a tough spot to find yourself in. You still there? You're, you're cutting out. Still got gotcha. you? Yeah. All right. There you go. So you get pruny hands and pruny 
bony fingers and your feet are soaked all the way up to your your waist and and then you know full well that you're not going to be wet the rest of the day by one o'clock you'll be like desert dry <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah it's it, it can be very tough on you um i actually i want to pick up this this pointer here because i'm i'm going to ask you a question that I've always kind of wanted to know the answer to, and I really don't know the background, but just your involvement with corn detasseling in general, how on earth did that ever become your summer gig? What, what's the history on that? Um, here's the story. You know, when I was in, in uh, college in Nebraska, there was a professor at the university who would, uh, organized detasseling crews and so kids would come out for three weeks in the summer and one of the guys that worked there as a supervisor uh was my college roommate one year and uh, i he actually started he, he was a teacher as well uh i uh his first year he started in uh uh new york city um uh, You've met Henry Hemminghouse, is the guy I'm talking about. Oh, sure, yeah. He was a biology teacher. He used to tell me he would go over to the Mets games like seventh inning, they'd let him in for free, and he'd just serve after the fifth inning, and he'd just sit and grade papers up there. <laughs> nice. He cited the big city, and that whole teaching wasn't for him, and went into full-time detasseling and uh, worked. I want to say he started uh, maybe in Iowa and, and then kind of worked in the Wisconsin, Illinois territory for that same company. And then, uh, um, he had been living and working down around Champaign and had organized crews in that area. And, uh, and you know, they, they have a lot of contacts and, and the guy that, well, it was a guy at Twin Gardens there, Harvard, said, yeah, we're, we're looking to get this detasseling done for this uh, seed corn we're making for sweet corn. So, and that's, and uh, Henry knew I had lived in Rockford and said, hey, how would you like this job as a crew leader? At that point, that was the only grower he didn't have many acres so you know the crew i ran was that was it in my area the next closest crew would have been south of rochelle and uh in wisconsin actually actually they had some work in uh, north of uh lake geneva at east troy if you know where that is and they worked out towards monroe uh, as well so but I was the only, you know, crew in that in that area, and we were just worked for him. So that's where it started. I, be, I became a crew leader, and uh, I mean, my training for that was uh, I hadn't been tasseled for probably fifteen years. So I went out with a crew in Wisconsin for a day, and it was kind of like the experience you had in in. Uh, uh, Rochelle, that poor lady that was leading the crew. I mean, it was day one 
and they were dropping like flies. And uh, and after that, after that one day, I'm like, oh, this might not be so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had no idea that uh, they really wanted me to do the recruiting, you know. And I had passed out pamphlets at our school, and and um, so uh, there was a area manager, which I eventually took the same kind of a position. Anyway, she was actually a student at Vanderbilt University uh, trying to get a degree in management of entertainers, like an agent for Boxcar Willie or John Prine or, you know, Miranda Lambert. And (laughs) she... She said, well, you know, we're starting next week. I go, yeah, well, I'm ready, you know. Uh, how many you got? I said, well, uh, the list I got has like nine people or 13, whatever it was. That wasn't many. She goes, well, that's not going to be enough. Like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. <laughs> You tell me. She told me to go to Job Corps downtown. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to one of them state-funded uh, job uh, site, you know, uh, unemployment office kind of things. But, yeah, it wasn't going to be a good idea, I didn't think. So the first year we had 90 acres or so to do I think Mm. and uh, with nine kids for those of people in the audience to see how impossible that is Quid, do you remember what we were told how much uh, how many acres a detasseler could handle in a day I don't remember well they always told me a good detasseler could do an acre a day so uh, you know, that was going to be a stretch for nine new kids plus me. And uh, so she knew, and that was for the detasseling where a machine comes through first. As yeah. you know, at Twin Gardens, because of corn is short, we pull every single tassel. We didn't have a machine that came through first and clipped off 50%, 70% or whatever. Um, so uh, the, the grower met us out there, uh, Cliff Ingersoll, who still works with them. Mm-hmm. And um, he looked at it after we got off the bus. He looked at the bus. He goes, is that it? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then pretty soon they were all on their phones trying to get us another crew. <laughs> and uh, that first year, I mean, we worked till... 5.30. I remember one night it was 6.30. Oh, my God. And we're turning around to do another row. And the grower, and they never tell you this, says, you guys need to go home. And uh, and uh, so we did, only because he made us. But we brought in a crew from the Monroe area. And I don't even know where else. 
and they absolutely hated it because all the corn they went through, two-thirds of the tassels were gone because of that machine that pulls them out had done it, been through the field before they got there. And, and their corn was all pretty medium height and a lot less strain. And then we were bending over, you know, sometimes you'd straddle the row or we even had kids down on their knees because it was so short that year. Mm. And those kids hated coming back to, you know, if they ever said, you're not making us do that sweet corn again, are you? (laughs) So we somehow made it through. So that's how I got started. And uh, uh, it was, it wasn't as, we picked up kids as you go. And I don't know why I've been able to sucker kids into to duty tasseling after we lose kids, but I was always able to do that. I've done that with my coaching too. It's uh, most people just write people off and say, forget it. But you know, the, the, I would have the office give me the extra applications because we'd fill the bus and say, we don't, I don't have any more room, but we'll keep you on the waiting list. And they'd say, do you want all these? I go, yeah. What do you want them for? Because we're going to go through them all because yeah. not many kids can sit there day after day and bend over and, you know, make the effort of getting out of bed every day. So um, it was quite an interesting experience. <laughs> the only thing that was nice about that first season was the check at the end. That was pretty sweet. And uh, uh, I don't remember how much it was, but I'm like, okay, I don't feel as bad about the misery as Mm -hmm. I did before (laughs) I got the check. Yep, yep. (laughs) Yeah, I think my first summer I was maybe making something around like six an hour. I think something something around there. It was uh, when you're 12, it it seems pretty good. Now when, when I'm in my mid-20s with a salary job it sounds like some sort of illegal child labor ring or something oh well remember i told you that one day went up to wisconsin so they sent me a check for it and uh you know this was not the company that you worked for but uh, the company that henry had worked for before and and in Wisconsin, there were two minimum wages at the time. I want to say 515 was minimum wage in Wisconsin. But there was uh, to help farmers out. You know, a kid bailed hay for you or something because the farmers couldn't afford to labor very well. There was an agricultural minimum wage, which was 495 an hour. Mm. So here I am, an adult. I, I have experience. Uh, I, I just worked as crew just you know, to get a day's work in so that I could familiarize myself. As it turns out, that one day we worked, uh, you probably know this, there's some mint that's growing around Lake Geneva in Janesville, and they were harvesting that mint. When they harvest mint, they, they put it into a vat and cook it to get the oil out. Um, it's an area that I believe the Wrigley's uh, started growing mint in there for their gum back in the day. But anyway, if you go by one of those pits, okay, where they're, where they're boiling, it's really thick, uh, oily smell that is nasty, like 
warm than you ever want to smell in your life. And so as we come over the hill, here comes the wind blowing that mint at us, and people almost barfed because it was so bad. <laughs> and I can remember covering my mouth, you know, like we have to do now with the mm-hmm. uh, masks. And uh, uh, and I thought, well, geez, I was e- easiest, easily the best worker there, right? Well, uh, the way they worked it is it, you, you get paid by the acre, and if you wind up burning up a lot of man hours because kids don't pull their weight, then everybody's wage drops. So if the money wasn't there, then everybody just got paid minimum wage, whether you were good or you weren't so good. So for that day, I made four ninety-five agricultural minimum wage. I'm like, ouch. And then subsequently, I wound up working in Wisconsin, and I said, Henry, please tell me we're not going to pull this on these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we didn't. We never paid them agricultural minimum wage. But, uh, you know, you learn a lot of things, like making sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Some things you don't want to know. Yep, yep. So. I think agricultural minimum wage could be the name of the all-detasseling jazz band or something. That, that would be hot. You know, that was, a, you know, what made it valuable was uh, you could have fun despite the misery. I mean, like you said, you could start a singing group. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I was just thinking of some actor that has a has a movie out uh, recently. I don't remember who it was, Matthew McConaughey or something, but do you remember playing six degrees to Kevin Bacon? Sure, of course. Uh, I mean, I'd go through the fields and I'm like, geez, what's wrong with this crew? Nobody's opening their mouth. Yeah. Are they going to on me or what? Well, they were all playing six degrees to Kevin Bacon and they were all cogitating like, <laughs> oh gosh, here we go. We went from Matthew McConaughey to um, a same movie that... Uh, you know, Val Kilmer was in, okay, what movie was Val Kilmer in that we could think of that's going to get us closer to Kevin Bacon? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you do a lot of things in the corn to try to keep yourself sane. I remember playing 20 questions here and there, and I think Tom Reith had some Shakespeare memorized or something that he entertained us with, and... You just, oh my gosh, yeah. You let, uh, no, no. You, you let, uh, I mean, Michael. By the time we were done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you remember a kid named, uh, he was a Rockford Christian student. Maybe his name was Scott. Do you, you remember Kyle Lundeen? Of course. Okay, I think he would have been one of my first older kids that came back for a couple of years that was friends with Kyle. I got Kyle involved. Anyway, I don't know if you were involved. Do you remember a girl, uh, a black girl by the name of McQueen, or uh, I can't remember her I, name. I don't. Now, I don't think I remember that. Okay. Well, so we were getting towards the end of our trail in the season, and we had a couple of empty days. And I told Henry, and he said, 
well, you guys got some time. I could really use the crew in another place. And it was, I don't was like down by uh, Dixon, maybe. And uh, Ro- south of Rochelle, it was, was, I think, Dixon or something. Anyway, uh, so I said, come down here for a day. So I took, you know, what, what were my best kids and tried to get them some more hours and, I knew if I go out of my area, if I don't bring good kids, they kind of look at you like, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, with a jealous eye or whatever, uh, they're a little more scrutinizing. So, but 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 the difference is, it was that field colon that had the long rows, and we weren't used to doing long rows, so we're really struggling to keep together, mm-hmm. even just ten of us or whatever. And again, it, it's hot, dry, dusty, and uh, that corn was dry. And when the corn's dry, it cuts your hands, and we oh, weren't yeah. ready for that. And like, how do I keep them together? So I started telling them a story. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember what it was, but oh no, I know it was. I used uh, some characters from the Harvard crew. Uh, uh, I can't remember the names now, but there was one kid that he was the bad penny that kept turning back up every year. Like, I mean, you were horrible last year. Why would you <laughs> want to go through this misery again? Yep. And it turned out the kid was kind of like special ed or something. I don't know. But anyway, his mom like begged me to take him for another year. So I did. But anyway, I made up a story about that kid and, uh, I don't know what kind of nonsense, but it was a pretty believable tale. And there was some pop and danger and mystery. And uh, I was in the story and I had to do some things that it turns out it was believable enough that they thought the story was true. And it was total BS. Uh, <laughs> which I'm sure you can hard to believe that that kind of stuff came out of my mouth. But, <laughs> I mean, we're talking like a two-hour story. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to remember who was there. Kyle might have been there. But anyway, a couple of them towards the end, you know, well, one of them just stopped and said, wait a second, is this, is this story even true? <laughs> no, no, I totally made it up. And then, like, I remember that McQueen or whatever her name was, uh, and another kid. Oh, this remuter! I believed all of that. I thought it was all true. Like, why did you tell us? I said so that you didn't think about how long these rows were and how bad this corn was cutting you up. That's why. <laughs> Just uh, what do you call it? Uh, diversionary tactic. Yeah. You're like a clinically trained psychologist over there. Oh, yeah. Well, one time I made up a... And there was a kid over in Wisconsin that would wear a... Well, you know, kids would have all kinds of hats. Sure. And, and uh, scarves and handkerchiefs around their neck and whatever you could do to keep yourself from getting destroyed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kid always wore a handkerchief around his neck one of them red and white uh you know like all the cowboys were yeah. 
and he lived out by a town named Clarno. Ever heard of Clarno? I haven't. No, neither is anybody else, but it's by Monroe. And so I start making up stories about the Clarno kid. <laughs> he was a train robber. <laughs> so, I mean, that became quite popular. <laughs> it's a lot, of, a lot of tall tales in the corn. Yeah. Well, like, you, like I said, I mean, you got to come up with something to divert yourself. And I feel bad for people who don't have, to some extent, miserable experiences to look back on to say, uh, you know, there's hope. Uh, it, it's not, doesn't have to be this bad, or maybe it isn't as bad as you think it is. Stuff like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's you true. You talks and uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's a good perspective to take. Yeah, I tell you what, next time you need a, a tall tale like that, you could just say, talk about anything that Kainanobi actually did in real life, and you'd have some good <laughs> stories there. True that. <laughs> or the legend that is Ian Hogshead. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Why do you think he never made it to uh, the MLS? Wait a second, wait a second. Let me start the theme music for his television special. <laughs> Maybe like a prison gang or something. Well, I was going to say, like, he's probably got a country music band that plays gigs on the weekends at, like, you know, some of those country western bars. I think it's called Agricultural Minimum Wage. <laughs> AMW for short. <laughs> yeah, you got to go like them on uh, on SoundCloud and Napster. It's um, it was a a wild experience, and and to go back, I think I did maybe seven or eight summers, something like that, and yeah, it's uh, it's a lot, but but you're right. I think I learned a lot of things when I was thirteen and fourteen years old that that other people don't get to learn until you know college or their first job out of college. So you know, for all the the misery and just absolute torment that that job provided and an awful paycheck. Um, there were plenty of, of life lessons along the way. And um, I, I can tell you personally that your name holds very much like a revered, larger-than-life um, just like idea or concept in, in not only my head, but I think a lot of other people's 
heads as well. Um, you are you are an awesome boss to have. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. Um, Don Hughes always wanted to know if you were coming like every day because he thought you were like the best detasseler ever, even better than Tom Rice. I, I'm shocked that you say that because Tom Hughes always, or, or Tim Hughes, whatever his name was, Hughes always scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> well, somebody's got to do it, I guess. <laughs> I was always worried he was going to chew us out or because he, he would more often than not. But, um, yeah, yeah I, just, I tried to just like not, not make eye contact and just uh, go back to my row. That was always my strategy. Yeah, well, uh, this is what I always said about these guys that own these fields and run these companies. Is they can be nice or they can be mean. Uh, it doesn't matter. Once you get below a certain standard that they're expecting, they are not your friend anymore. And yep. don't expect them to be. So he, he just got off and, you know, he would get that out right in front. But the truth is they're all the same at, at some point. But you think about standards, I mean, how, how important is that for us in today's world, right? I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, the shelves should have toilet paper on them. Why don't they have toilet paper on them? Well, here's the truth, guys. The shelves don't have toilet paper on them. Now what are you going to do? You know, uh, you, you want to get something done on your tooth or something because... You know, looking here, whatever, uh, you're at the back of the line now because we got other priorities. How are you going to deal with that, you know? And then what do you do when no one listens to your whiny complaint? <laughs> you know, imagine being in this virus situation and living in, say, Ecuador or something, where they've got hospitals, right? Like, forget about rooms that would be equipped with ventilators and that let's just talk about hospitals to start you know yeah yeah oh so, uh yeah i don't know is it, it, it that was one thing i remember about the tasseling is i'd say always have crew say so-and-so sucks canal water yeah uh, so-and-so dawdles so-and-so has to go to the bathroom three times i want to fire him and I'd always say, well, uh, who's their replacement? Do you have the replacement? Because right. if you don't, it's easier to deal with one you got and train them up than it is to find a new one who might just quit after it anyway. Yep. But I think that's a big, you know, a big thing. When you're on a team, you know, as good as Hogshead was, it helped him with his team that Ian had had to deal with people that uh, didn't have the same expectations, didn't follow the rules. That's why the Rockford Lutheran soccer program was so good. And as well as that Rockford Christian, I mean, you guys had those experiences that the, the leadership is, is key, you know? Sure. Sure. And, and those experiences how do you get leadership without experience? And then dealing with coworkers that suck? Uh, has that ever happened to you since the task on ended? Have you ever had to work with a coworker that maybe is not meeting the standards? <laughs> Every time I look in the mirror, 
that you can't stand? You've never had one of those since detasseling, right? I didn't have one of those during detasseling either. <laughs> yeah, pretty much Nirvana for quit. <laughs> yeah. You got yeah. you got a lot of good sage advice over there. You ever thought of uh, putting it into a book or something? You know, I have. Um, uh, s- sitting here, this last well, we 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 opted out on March 16th of school, yeah. and somebody had mentioned to me before school ended that uh, I'd probably spend more clock hours with individual students in a day than any student, any teacher on our staff. And our staff's got a bunch of hardworking, conscientious people who really invest in kids. Uh, But I didn't argue with them. I do run into a lot of people. And so I just, I thought about it, but I, you know, life keeps you pretty occupied. But when that shutdown happened, frankly, oh, like, uh, I felt like that guy with the, uh, you know, the manual transmission that couldn't quite find the gear. I kept slowing down and like, now what do I do? And mm. and so it's it's been a transition. But someday I wouldn't mind putting something together, you know. But um, there's nothing else would be entertaining. I have a lot of pretty crazy experiences in my life. Oh, you uh, you absolutely do. I would I would buy the first copy. That would I would read that right away. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Well, I don't. Good talk to you, my friend. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to keep you. You know, any longer. I appreciate you coming on. I do have one last uh, request. Tomorrow is Easter Sunday, and I'm wondering if you have any uh, spiritual words of guidance for the audience members out there. Well, the one first one that comes to my mind is the idea that this too shall pass. Um, I, I have spent some time uh, the last few days uh, contemplating all the different parts of the drama of Jesus unfolding, where he kind of got told and placed in a position where he's kind of absolutely no win for him. And... Uh, I guess I admire that whole process, um, um, but uh, it, it also inspires me to know uh, that his work was not in vain. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people with scripture, we we get to, when we're younger, it's about, you know, Jesus died for our sins and... and uh, that's about as deep as we get. But, you know, there's so many parables to life with Scripture. You know, think of what Jesus went through. Um, again, like the detasseling experience, uh, the, the boss was out to get him, the establishment. Uh, he got, uh, he did the right thing and got told that wasn't good, or blah, blah, blah. And uh, so... Uh, I think it's good good for us to have that understanding and patience. Um, I, I feel like that's one thing our uh, our faith gives us is an understanding of perspective, and that we don't have to get all mad that 
you know, the Chinese didn't tell us early on about how bad this was or that, um, you know, so-and-so governor or whatever didn't uh, stop, start social distancing soon enough or the guy on the other side that says, well, you're going to ruin the economy. You better better get back to where we were. Uh, what are we waiting for? This is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think having that calm in the storm is, is an important thing. And, and if you look at how Jesus dealt with a very, very difficult situation, it's a great example for, for all of us. That gives us hope. Uh, and uh, so he is risen. In another uh, seven hours here, don't, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Right, and when you get to heaven, don't drink the water. Um, and uh, I, I did appreciate, uh, I, I did note the passing of one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters of all time, John Prine. Yes. Uh, who passed away this last week, and he had has written a song just in the last couple of years called When I Get to Heaven. It's a, kind of a classic, I think, and... Uh, you know, I feel like uh, uh, that that kind of boisterous spirits to think that you got a future and a hope. So, sure, sure. Rest peace, Mr. Prime. Mm. You've inspired many. Mm. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you so much for your words and for coming on and joking around and talking about detasseling and. Um, just, just your, your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, maybe we can get together and, uh, pick a different topic or that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We, uh, we would love to have you back anytime. And Hey, if you ever come up to Chicago, let's get a, a slice of deep dish. And next time I'm, I'm down in Edwardsville, I'm going to shoot you a message and, and we can go, yeah. uh, uh, bet on well, a horse race or something. That sounds good. I mean, Let's see how the uh, how the numbers come out on the podcast. See how many people before we commit to another one. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give you another lemon for an hour. <laughs> We've got nowhere to go but up. I don't know, but uh, I need when I go to Chicago. I need somebody to take me to some of this, the Blues Brothers authentic landmark places before they're all gone. All so right, all that right. might be something we could do as a podcast or that. It sounds pretty good. I'll, I'll do some research. I'll find all the secret spots. Maybe we can meet you at the Joliet prison. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. And we are back. Welcome back to the north side of Chicago, and thank you a million times over to Tim for joining us today. Um, really, really poignant, um, surprisingly poignant, not, not to take anything away um, from, from, from Tim, not to say that he didn't have it in him or I wasn't expecting him to, to kind of have that level of clarity and insight but i just think it really um was was delightful to have and we we spend a lot of time on this show 
goofing around and all that fun stuff. And, um, you know, I think that's what a lot of people expect week in and week out on the Beantown podcast. But but occasionally it can be really nice to have a show like this uh, as well. So thank you very much to Tim. And uh, not not kidding, we are going to get him back on this show. I, I You know, if, if this show goes on for another five, ten years, which, God, going to have to get a lot more content. Uh, I, can, I can assure you Tim will be back on. And we will uh, go find all the Blues Brothers locations, including the Joliet Prison, where I believe uh, the Canfields are located. Um, inside joke for any former detasslers listening. Although I, I, I will have to share this with some of my old detasseling buddies. Um, and apologies for, uh, you know, specific names that, that we listed in the, the interview, not for privacy reasons, but just, you you know, you don't know who Tom Reith is. You don't know who... Martin Dobler is, um, you know, but, uh, you don't know who Gail is or T Arthur, but that's okay. Um, because it's, it's fun to have anyways. So, um, let's read some ads here and then we'll finish it up, uh, with a little Easter Sunday, um, message, which I haven't prepared and, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. We're already long. I apologize. Uh, let's see. Home Pride, Oregon. Are you tired of selling your house for less than a quarter of what it's worth all because you couldn't find a reliable home inspector in time? Well, Oregon listeners, there's good news. Home Pride Inspection Services in Bend, Oregon is Central Oregon's hottest new home inspection provider with inspection services including things like heating and cooling, roofing, plumbing, and so much more. Home Pride Oregon is both contractor certified and home inspection certified, so you know you're getting the good stuff. If you're tired of big real estate's hold on the home inspection market and you want on a safe, certified home inspector you can trust, you got to call Steve at 541-410-0316 or you can visit HomePrideOregon.com. Again, that's 541-410-0316 or you can visit HomePrideOregon.com. Home Pride Oregon inspection perfection. Shout out to the Samson Q2U series. During this Holy Week, pulling double duty, not only picking up my audio, but also Tim Uther's audio. Uh, crisp, clean audio quality you know and you love and you can trust. Whether you're reading the story of Samson and Delilah or Jesus rising from the dead on the third day, you gotta trust a Samson. Because when God speaks, he uses a Samson. Cuts by Q. Bob and Weave. We all know the hairstyle. We all love it. But how many Chicago-based independent barbers can actually give it to you the way you deserve? Enter Cuts by Q. It's like Enter Sandman, but different. Cuts by Q has been independently owned and operated since 1995 and is probably one of the better barbershop operations serving Chicago, Cook County, and the greater Chicago land area. From beehives to bangs, faux hawks to flat tops and everything in between, just call Cuts by Q at 815-298-7200 or you can email cutsbyq at yahoo.com. Again, that's Q-U-T-Z. By Q at yahoo.com. Sing with us wherever you are across the country. Edwardsville, Chicago, who cares? Glenn Carbon. Oh, when you need a fresh do, something snappy and new, just call the experts at Cuts by Q. And I will mention... Uh, quick PSA plea for help here. Um, Cuts by Q is really struggling during these quarantine times. You know, no one's really going to their favorite local faux barber um, to get a faux hawk, flat top, whatever you want. Um, So we haven't, we haven't made a sale, you know, since quarantine started. Granted, 
we didn't make any before quarantine started, but still, nevertheless. Uh, so support local business is all I'm going to say. Um, today is Easter Sunday, uh, April 12th, 2020. And um, I don't have too much to add. Um, I, I think I you know will let Tim's words of advice and wisdom do the talking. Um, all I will say is... Um, if you are looking for a fun sermon, I, I made one last year, um, our Easter sermon podcast for 2019 year two of the podcast, um, was written by me and, um, kind of crafted the, the, the character, the preacher I became to deliver that sermon was an amalgamation of a lot of, um, Christian talk radio that I had been listening to. I think at the time I had been spending some time in um, Kansas City for sure and uh, Memphis, I think, at, at one point and, and maybe even like Mississippi or something. Um, but if, if if you're interested, go check out that Easter Sermon podcast from 2019. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. And the only reason I, I plug it now, plugging my own material, is because there is some tongue-in-cheek uh, commentary kind of laced here and there in the sermon. That I think it's like 35 minutes or something. But at the end of the day, um, I actually think it works really well, um, like legit, uh, as a Christian Easter Sunday sermon. Um, and, you know, I think I could, you know, send that to a radio uh a christian radio show in birmingham alabama or something and i i i think they would find it to be quite tasteful so um here i am uh tooting my own own horn plugging my own material but i i will listen to it tomorrow um it's it's fun it was my first ever time writing a sermon i don't have any training or experience in that but i think it came out very well so um, check that out if you're looking for some some additional words of wisdom guidance um hey you know what it's easter sunday have some candy have a chocolate bunny watch the uh the the veggie tales rad shack me shack and abednego episode or the three tenors i think it's called something like that um where they sing the chocolate bunny song oh man one of my favorites go into the fiery furnace and hey i won't spoil it for you but i sure love some chocolate bunnies man i was at the grocery store a couple hours ago uh, getting some uh, Gatorade and turkey to refuel for my run. I ran 12 miles this morning. It felt great. Um, and boy, I was—I tell you what, I was man. I was tempted uh, in the checkout line. They had like a Reese's bunny, chocolate bunny, for like two bucks. And you know, like large chocolate bunny. It was a steal. Um, I almost went for it. Plus, I you know I was thinking about this. You know, yesterday it's like you know been really hardcore in my diet, really strict. Like I would you know it'd be nice to, to splurge a little bit, have some candy. Maybe we'll see. I'll, I'll go back tomorrow. We'll, 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 we'll see. I'll report back. Cause I know you all are on the edge of your seat, but, um, you know what? Have, have some chocolate, have a, have, have some jelly beans, you know, do it. Um, and if you're searching for Easter eggs tomorrow or an Easter basket, or you're having some ham, you know, have fun. Good luck. Whether you're in person, um, or virtual, um, you know, whatever your situation is, happy Easter and, um, take some time to reflect, listen to a Beantown sermon and, um, you know, have some fun. Last thing here, the, uh, I am in the middle of the last chapter of the Scott Farrell audiobook. I physically will finish it 
this week, the tall task then is is twofold. One, figure out how I want to upload slash distribute it um, because things are kind of wonky with file sizes and limits and yada, yada, yada. Boring tech stuff that I have to figure out for myself. Two, writing my um, critical review um, of it is going to take some time because I... I have all the thoughts in my head, but I want to get it right. Uh, and I want—I don't write that much. Well, that's not entirely true. Um, I don't write that much when it's not about law school admissions events. So it's going to take me some time to do that. So the, the, the overall kind of project as a whole will not be ready by this time next week. But the physical recording of the audiobook will be, which is very exciting because uh, it has taken me a lot of time to do. Okay, uh, I'm going to queue up some Tishaminga Blues, and uh, I thank you all. If you made it this far, thank you for listening, um, and uh, that's that's really what I got for you. So everyone, stay safe. Um, you know, get through get through another week quarantine. You got this. Whatever you got to do um, to stay mentally healthy, whether you know it, it's splurging on chocolate bunnies or going for long runs. Or, you know, catching up with your old boss who you haven't talked to in seven years. Whatever you got to do, make it happen. Uh, Just be happy, be healthy, uh, like Honey Nut Cheerios. So, uh, for all of us here at Beantown Podcast Productions, uh, my name is Quinn David Furness. Thank you for listening. Happy Easter 2020. And we will check in on you next week.